we'll turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. You may notice uh, that we do uh, a microphone here, even though we don't really have me piped through the speakers. And that's, that's uh, wow, yeah, that's, that's why we don't. Okay, so, uh, so yeah. And so the point is, we, we actually do a podcast. We do online sermons, and so you can actually retrieve those or share those uh, through our website or on iTunes. And uh, I was, one of our online listeners, actually, this past week informed me that the other day they sat down, got real comfortable on their couch, and uh, started up the sermon. And all of a sudden, I ask everybody here to put down their phone and to grab an actual Bible. And he said, so he was like, uh, okay, so he put down his phone and went and retrieved a Bible. Uh, Now, you don't have to walk so far as he did. There's one right in front of you. But I, again, ask you to actually grab your physical Bible, one that you can actually touch. I like mobile phones and stuff like that, but also like pages. And sometimes it's good just to physically touch the Word of God. If you will, join with me in Daniel chapter 3. What we're doing really is jumping midstream into Daniel 3. What we're doing essentially is coming right into the middle of the episode. It'd be like watching your favorite television show and jumping right into, the, right into the climax of what's going on. Or maybe what I'm about to do in just the short verses that we read is more like a preview for the whole episode. And then we're going to walk it through after that. Notice these words in Daniel chapter 3. Let's pick up in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So, they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your holy word. What a precious gift to us. What a great responsibility it is to us. Lord, may the same Spirit that inspired these words inspire our own hearts this morning. To the glory of you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I like, uh, I like stories. Who doesn't? G.K. Chesterton, there's two things that everybody likes, and that is stories and people. We find those things interesting. There's two things that never get old. That is stories and people. It's why people watch Netflix. It's why people binge Netflix. It's why you like to read a good book or watch a great movie. And stories are compelling in many ways. They teach us things without being very didactic and boring or pedagogical. They're not boring teacher-esque, but instead they communicate things sort of under the surface and they slip by reason often. 
A good story will move right past reason and invoke emotion before you even know it. In other words, oftentimes I have to draw back tears and say, oh, well, it was just a movie after all. It was just a story. I have to remind myself of where I'm at. Daniel's no different. Daniel is a very compelling story. Entertaining on many levels, quite honestly. It's not too much detail. You know how it is when you have a friend that tells too much of the story, it ruins the story, right? Or too little of the story and it messes up the punchline. Daniel is a beautiful five-star story from front to back. In particular, in the first six chapters, where you have six narratives, six episodes, if you will. And we've been plowing along those episodes. We've been drilling down into them. And so to recap, here's the overall picture of this series. God is in control. God is in control. Despite current circumstances, God is in control. God is in control of who is in control. That's what we talked about the first week. We talked about how God wins, which means that if we follow this true and living God, we win. And we don't have to worry because God is in control. Not only that, you can be faithful because God is in control. Even in a foreign land, you can be faithful. Even being an alien in the land, you can be faithful because there is a God in heaven who knows all things even the hidden things, even what is in the darkness, chapter 2 told us last week. And now we come to chapter 3, the third episode in this series of God is in control. Despite the present appearances, He's in control. Sure doesn't look like it. Which is why Daniel is a great story. It's paradoxical. On the one hand, you've got... a some young boys that have been ripped from their land, put, literally kidnapped, illegal on many levels, right? And now put into slavery and put to work for one of the most evil people in the world. This is like going to work for Hitler. This is like going to work for ISIS in their advisory council. Not only that, Daniel may have, uh, it seems, been a eunuch. His life is forever changed, not only because he's a slave, but even his physical body has been mutilated. Even his name has changed. None of this is good. None of this seems like God is in control. And yet, the message is, God is in control. It doesn't matter what is on the surface or what is happening, particularly here or there, God remains in control. And so, these three friends and this Daniel that we're, that we're able to see in these episodes uh, have this total confidence in God. It's an inspiring confidence in God. It's one that we still read today even and still just, wow, that's amazing. It's one of those stories that never tires. You see, today, even if God is unwilling, we're going to learn to save them. 
He's still in control. So, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's recap now. Let's go back through and kind of catch up. We heard the preview. We saw the climax. Now, what in the world is going on? And that is this. Nebuchadnezzar has made a golden image. And you immediately are brought back to chapter 2, right? Chapter 2 where he has a dream. He won't tell anybody this dream. And yet, God discerns this dream because God gave him this dream. And he tells Daniel this dream and then it is interpreted. Nebuchadnezzar being the golden head of this statue that gets smashed by the rock that is not hewn by human hands. And so the plot tension in in today's episode is this. Now he makes the dream a reality. Now we're not told why. We're not told if he's just so full of himself that he doesn't care about the dream. I mean, hey, if you're the golden head and everybody else is less than you, why not live it up until it all falls apart? Or maybe... Maybe the dream he misinterpreted, even after Daniel interpreted it, and he says, you know what? If everything below the head is less than gold, then I'm going to make a statue that is all gold, at least plated with gold. And this is quite the statue, by the way, 90 feet high, 9 feet in width. That's big for the ancient world, by the way. That may be nothing for us. Oh, yeah, whatever, they can whip that up. That's actually really huge for the ancient world. This is a big thing. This is a wonder of the time. And so it wouldn't be out of the question also to think this. And that is, yeah, Yahweh, he knows secret things. Yahweh, he knows a lot and he can tell dreams. But just like in polytheistic faiths, no one God does it all. Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar is polytheistic. He obviously worships many gods, as did all the Babylonians we know. And so maybe what's happening is this. Maybe this is a litmus test for those who are in his kingdom. Maybe what he's trying to do is conform everybody to one standard unity. Maybe it's actually a type of Caesar worship. Maybe it's a type of saying, by the way, I descended from the gods... I must be worshipped. Now, interestingly, we're not told if the statue was of him or if it was of another god. If it were of another god, it would be more than likely Marduk. After all, Nebuchadnezzar's name, Nebu, Nebos, was the mouthpiece of Marduk in the Enuma Elish, which is their mythological grounding for their religion. Now, Marduk is bad news in their mythology, okay? Like, he's the main god. He's the one who kills Tiamat with a trident. I don't mean a piece of gum. But instead, like the trident that the seals use, right? And he actually is the creative God for them. So he's a very powerful God for them. Maybe it's Marduk. Maybe it's Nebuchadnezzar. Here's the point is this. The writer of Daniel doesn't care. Doesn't care. You think you're powerful. You think Marduk's powerful. There's somebody above your pay grade. And so... 
Maybe the king is trying to create some unity within his political system. After all, he's got a lot of different people working from him across different aisles from different locations with all kinds of different gods and goddesses and whatnot. Maybe now he's saying, you know what, guys, we just need to bring everything together. Kind of like they try to do in politics all the time. And everyone needs to bow down to this idol. Now, idol worship is something that for us is just like, why would people do that? Like, why waste your time? Like, that's so dumb. You know, that's so ancient world history, right? It doesn't even connect to our world when, in fact, it does connect to our world. I've seen idolatry firsthand in a place like India. But not only India, right on the dashboard of people's cars, Not only on the dashboard, right down the street from some friends of mine where there's a Hindu temple. But not only there, right in your head. Right in your heart. John Calvin, who I try to take the best from and leave the rest, says this. The human mind is a factory of idolatry. Bill Bright updated that kind of language and said this, who's on the throne of your life? That's who your God is. That's your Marduk. What really is the filter by which you do life? What is your ultimate concern? What do you filter your time through, your family through, your work through? Whatever that is, is your God. It's interesting that we start off Daniel 3 here and there's some things missing in this episode. Number one, there's no prophecy. Nothing about the future. That's odd in an apocalyptic book. That's like reading Revelation with no prophecy. Maybe this is just a dry episode. There's also no historical data. The first two chapters he started off with some historical pings. Not here. And, interestingly enough, there's no Daniel. In this series of Daniel, there's no Daniel, but rather his three friends. And his three friends would have escaped, seemingly, from this obedience to a king to bow before a statue, to bow before an idol, except that someone told on them. You know, it happens in the corporate world. It happens in the academic world. It happens in the medical world. It happens in all of our world. Tattling doesn't go away when you get older, does it? Someone seems to always be watching. And for us, that's both good and bad, the Scripture says. (laughs) It's good when you're good and bad when you're bad. We are, as the Scriptures say, a witness. Your life is a witness. Your work is a witness. Your family is a witness. Your money is a witness. Your friends are a witness. Your house, your car, your lifestyle is a witness about something. About someone. Who's on the throne? Here's what Romans 1 
says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. Isn't that interesting? Have all this stuff, but who do we give thanks to? Ourselves? But their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise... Boy, don't you get that on the internet a lot. At work. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man. Isn't that what he just built? And birds and animals and reptiles. You're going to worship something in your life. Either it's going to be creation or the creator. There's nothing in between. There's no other option. There's, there's this interesting thing that happens as I began to study Daniel 3 that I never really noticed. And typically I don't really like lists. They're rather boring sometimes in the Bible. I know it's a literary device to have a list, but, you know, for instance, in Chronicles, I think he goes a little too far with his list. I, you know, maybe, um, I'm sure I'll get slapped in the head when I get to heaven. But if you ever want to go to sleep, just start reading so-and-so, beget so-and-so, beget so-and-so, beget so-and-so, beget so-and-so, and you can't even pronounce a third of the names. It's a long list. Well, thankfully, the lists are not as long in Daniel 3, but there are, I counted, ten different lists of two different things. The authorities, the state government. Remember the satraps, the prefects, all this kind of... I mean, he, he just goes, he goes crazy. He goes, oh, oh, peoples, nations, languages. That's another... The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces. Now, he does this over and over. And instead of saying... All those guys again, he goes back through the list. And you're like, at that point, you know, me, with my touch of ADD, I'm like, why, why are you doing this? I'm already 10 steps ahead. Why, 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 why waste my time? But I think it's a literary device to mock the king. In other words, he set up this grandiose thing. He's got everybody that's somebody to come to it. And he's got every instrument in the book ready to go. He's got the orchestra, not just some small band, the orchestra here. And it's time to bow down. And the writer, I think, is just giving you a little punch to mess up the flow of the story a little bit to say, yeah, he keeps getting this big gathering going all for naught in the end. Um, and, interestingly, the three friends are a list, aren't they? They're mentioned 13 times together. Never one is alone. But you have this trinity of people. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he even punches it to the Babylonian who might be reading this to say he uses their Babylonian names. You know, sometimes he'll use their Hebrew names. Not here. Because he wants to really punch it to them. You change their name, but you can't change their God. 
here's another thing I think we come into play with. Nebuchadnezzar is extremely successful. I mean, he is, after all, in charge of the world. He's master of the universe at this point. (laughs) And yet, he's not. These long lists mock, really, his power as well. You go down from long lists to three people who are picked out that are about to change the world. It's good to have large crowds, this and that, but if you don't bring it down to three, you're going to get lost in the crowd. You say, oh no, here he goes, going to plug small groups and small group meetings with one another. Just saying it's biblical as you can get. We're not meant to be lost in the crowd, are we? We need our brothers and our sisters just like these three men needed one another. Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar is successful, but successful doesn't mean he's significant. And successful doesn't mean he's righteous. Sometimes we can say, oh, God is blessing them, so they must be right. They must be living right. Because God, right, only blesses those who are living right? No. You haven't read the Bible if you think that. It rains on the just and the unjust. People often say, why do bad things happen to good people? I think Jesus would come back and say, who is good but God? I don't know these good people you speak of. We should really be asking, why do good things happen to bad people? Because the scripture says, no, not one. What about, though, when bad people come in contact with good people. Isn't that what's happening here? What about when good people happen to bad things? Isn't that what the church is supposed to be about? We're like the fire department. We run toward the danger. We run toward the darkness. We run toward the gates of hell. And although we may feel like we have a squirt gun, we've got the God of the universe on our side. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who's in control. So we, with our flashlight, we, with our squirt gun, can charge ahead of an enemy that is more powerful than us, but not more powerful than God. This is the lesson in Daniel. You can be a light in a very dark situation because God is in control.
Our problem, though, is we, like Nebuchadnezzar, are proud. We are unwilling to humble ourselves. C.S. Lewis says, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. It's time to look up. Our help comes from beyond the hills. Doesn't it? It's beyond the sun. Don't stop with nature. That's the point of the Psalms. Don't look at the mountains. Give them a name. Start worshiping them in high places. Don't give the sun a name. But instead, not the land of the rising sun, but the land of the risen, S-O-N, sun. Just to throw in a little Shinto. (laughs) Um, Man, isn't God good? I mean, this just, you know, I don't know. I've been so blessed with Daniel, I don't know if I'm communicating it properly. Uh, You know, and what I'm trying to do really is just communicate what is actually in Daniel and nothing added. Because the story itself is power. It doesn't need my commentary. It needs us to see it. Second scene, the accusation against the three friends. By the way, burning fiery furnace, again, repeated eight times. Notice that's a list, isn't it? Burning, fiery, furnace, all the same thing. It's just really digging it in though, right? It's a burning, fiery furnace. Not just a furnace, not just a fire. And when they get accused, and they're accused because they are Jews. They're accused because, well, in the last chapter they got promoted. And you know how that goes, right? They got promoted, other people didn't, and now they're angry. And they say, King, these Hebrews, by the way, they're not bowing down. There were probably so many people there that he didn't even notice. They probably maybe, maybe were, you know, up and down, bowing before him. You know, who knows how they were doing it? But he didn't catch it on his own. Somebody told on them. And here's the the reality. Here's the thing I think we can take from that is somebody's watching us. I don't care who you are. You think you don't really have an impact on other people. You have an impact on other people that you don't You won't even know this side of heaven. And you know what? I don't think we're supposed to know because the head swells when we know. If we knew, we wouldn't even better get out of that door. Until we were deflated. And life has a nice way of deflating us, doesn't it? Thanks be to God, we get deflated. That way we can look up where our help comes from. Third scene, the confrontation with Nebuchadnezzar. This pagan, all-powerful sovereign, so he thinks, is in a furious Rage, which already means he's losing control. If he's all sovereign, why the rage? You mad, bro? I got to speak to my millennials. Why the rage? If he's in complete, God doesn't get angry like this and lose control. He doesn't have to. 
He says, <laughs> I love this next part. We've already read it, you know, but he's like, look, you guys are ready. I mean, I'm going to just act like you didn't just not bow down. I'm just going to act like that just didn't happen. Uh, Because I know you know who I am. I know you know what I have. And I know you know my power. So I'm just going to act like that didn't even happen. Because I like you guys. I really like you. I like your buddy, Daniel, too. So, whenever you're ready, we'll crank up the band again, play the last part, get to the introit, and when we do, you better bow down, because if you don't, I'm going to heat this thing up. We're going to throw 15 dead Christmas trees in there, and then we're going to throw you right behind it. And he does something that <laughs> I imagine in my head at least is a very wrong move. He makes one of those statements that's one of those famous last words kind of thing. Oh no, that's never happened to me. He says, and who is a God that can deliver you from my hand? Hmm. Wouldn't have said that, man. Sounds like you've not read Exodus where Pharaoh asked a similar question. Moses comes before Pharaoh, says, let my people go. He says, who are you? Who is your little God that you're saying you're doing this in the name of? Well, I am. He says, let him go. He says, I've never heard of him. Well, by the end of Exodus, he has heard of him. And it's cost him dearly. <laughs> who is a God who can deliver you from my hands? I imagine the king probably said that and all his counselors and everybody, he probably looked around, you know, who is a God to save me from these little podunk slaves, right? And everybody's like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody gives courtesy laugh. I mean, you want to be in the good graces of the king, right? But Nebuchadnezzar's not the only one laughing. It's God who's laughing. Psalm 2, you remember that one? Love that psalm. It's right behind my favorite, Psalm 1. And Psalm 2 says, The Lord mocks at them, holds them in derision. Literally up in heaven, belly laughing. <laughs> You're going to take me over? Oh yeah, nuclear weapons? Great deal, man. That sounds fantastic. Your little AR-15s, 50 cows, man, you sound like you've got it going on. Problem is, I'm not material. <sighs> Yikes. He laughs. Because he's in control. Now, the three aren't ready to laugh yet, right? <laughs> I mean, if you're in their situation, you're not really, it's probably not really a laughing matter. You know, you want to, you want to stay composed at this point. Um, but what they say, as you just heard, actually, we haven't heard it. 
We didn't get to that part, did we? Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fear, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is 19. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fire. And he bound them with all of this. They have have their turbans on, their tunics on. Before that, here's what they say to him. They say, look, king, we don't really have to answer you in this matter that you're asking us because, quite frankly, our God is in control. You may not see it. We may not even see it today. But he's able to deliver us if he wants to. This is 17. And he will deliver us out of your hand today. Whether it's through our death or whether it's through our saving, we won't do what you're asking us to do. But even if, and the way our text says it, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is something that's established in these three young men way before they get to this point. In other words, they don't say, that's a good proposal. Let us deliberate on that for just a bit. Give us a little powwow. They in unison are already willing to lay down their life. And so Nebuchadnezzar blows up, heats the furnace, throws them in with their turban. I mean, remember, they're dressed like a Babylonian. And he throws them in. Then, verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three people into that fire bound? They answered, true, O king, (laughs) yes. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar has to see himself as gracious by giving them one more opportunity. We'll crank up the band, boys. We'll get this thing going again for you. I'll give you another chance. And they say no. But they say it in a polite way. And I think this is a lesson all throughout Daniel is no one's rude in Daniel except for the king and the Babylonians. Daniel doesn't want his own way and gets belligerent with the king and everybody that works for the He doesn't do all that and neither do they. And neither should we. Just because we have the truth doesn't mean we get to beat people over the head with it. We love them into the truth. They're not our enemy. And I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood a very principal point in Christianity, and that is we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against demonic powers in high places. Nebuchadnezzar, I really believe they saw, was not the enemy. There was another enemy. Because Nebuchadnezzar's already confessed God once, He's about to do it again, but not in a proper way. So you have the miraculous deliverance here. They get thrown into the fire, and from what we know about the way they had these blast furnaces, they look like an old uh, milk jug. And so at the bottom, they had an opening for you to fuel it. Up at the top, they had this mouth 
to cast things down into it or hold it over him. Heats this thing up, throws them down in there, and he looks over into the fire and sees four and not three. And God saves them. And he actually comes to save them. I mean, I don't even have to draw out the implication. You already know the implication. That fourth person that looks like a son of the gods. Here's a pagan king that recognizes this character has some divinity to him. No matter the outcome, big guy, they say, we're going to serve the Lord. Haven't you heard that before? Even if it costs us our life, even if we don't make it, we're not going to serve your gods. And I got to thinking, what about that even if, right? Where does that, I mean, yeah, he, I, I read this to my kids last night, and the lesson that Baylor took from it was very simple. He said, God will always save us when we're in trouble. I just said, that's good, buddy. Life will soon enough teach him that God doesn't always save you when you're in trouble. Even if, what about Job? What about Job? Even if, what about Abraham with his sacrifice to Isaac? He had to do everything all the way up to the point, and then God spared him. There's another even if. What about Joseph? Boy, that's a tough situation to be in. God did not save him more times than he did save him, physically speaking, from torment, from torture, from slavery. What about Moses? Leads all these people, does all this great stuff, and then doesn't even get to where they're going. Gets cut off. Not allowed. What about David and Bathsheba's child? Dies. Jeremiah. Destroyed. Weeping prophet. Hosea has to marry a promiscuous wife for an object lesson for God. He didn't get delivered from hurt. What about Daniel and the exiles? They don't get delivered. They go into exile. That's the whole reason we're reading Daniel. It's because bad things happen to him. What about John the Baptist? Did God save him from being beheaded? No. What about... Jesus. You will be delivered. Not always in this life. Maybe it's from this life. I was thinking about that today and I thought about Paul's words. To live is Christ and to die is gain. When I accept the call to preach... 17 years old, 1999. This is the Bible I had. I stuffed this on the front of it and it's never left there. Although I don't use this Bible, and you can see why I almost lost the whole thing. I don't use this Bible anymore as far as studying and reading and whatnot, but it still is a reminder. And I thought about how much this verse meant to me. Are we willing to go up there and do the sacrifice like Abraham? 
go through the fire like these guys. If we're saved or not. Go through cancer. Go through your work. Go through a marriage. A tough marriage. That can be our fire. Tough family situation. Tough upbringing. God delivers them and He will deliver us all. One day there will be no more sea. No more suffering. No more death. It is not now. It is not now. But one day. But even in the suffering, He's gone before us, hasn't He? Even in the suffering, He's right beside us. Even in the suffering, He already knows the end, and so do we. They come out and they don't even smell like smoke. That's that's insane. Their clothes aren't burned. Nothing, the fire didn't even affect them. I just happen to think about hell. Hell is not a place for those who are righteous. It won't affect them. But heaven is hell to unbelievers, to the unrighteous. They come out of the fire, crowd gathers around. Wow, they yielded up their bodies. And I hear Paul saying, present your bodies. Christianity is a very material religion. The water, the meal, the presence here, the relationships. It has to be done in the body, not in the head. The last scene is Nebuchadnezzar worshiping God again. Here we go. You're like, oh no, here he goes again. And we already know what happens in chapter 4. But he worships God. But here's the thing. He commands others to worship God, but he himself does not. In other words, he says, look, if anybody says anything bad about their God, I'll rip you apart. And you're like, oh, dadgum. I've never heard of evangelism like that, you know. I'll kill you. <laughs> um, well, I have heard evangelism like that, but not Christian evangelism. We don't do evangelism by the sword. Ever we don't. We don't do it by politics. We don't do it by state religion, which is what they're dealing with here. No, 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 no. The church, the body of Christ, that's how the world will be saved. You are the body of Christ. Then he promotes them. So, so what? So what about this story? Great story, so what? Well, the so what is this. We deal with our own modern idolatry. Every single one of us pass by idols every day or scroll through idols every hour, or are piped into our earbuds, or into the language that people use, or the news that people listen to. There are so many gods and goddesses to be worshipped all around us, and we, like them, must say, no, I will take a stand for Christ. Isn't that the beauty of Lenten fast anyway? 
no. In a culture that only says yes, that sees success as yes, we say no. What is your ultimate concern? Because that is where the idol is. That's where the image is. And I pray it's the image of God. Because it can be. That, that's the good news. He can mold His image in you. In me. May it be so, Lord Jesus. I think our greatest enemy in closing is this. Self. The God of self. It's the most demonic religion in all of the world. I think if somebody's full-blown polytheist worshiping physical idols, they're easier to convert and use that passion toward God rather than someone who worships their self, that only listens to their self, that only directs their self. That's the most demonic kind of religion because that is pride. We have replaced God with us. God help us. This is why, brothers and sisters, the only solution is the cross. The self must die. When we decrease, He will increase. Because to live is Christ. To die is gain. Gain. Are you willing? Are you ready? Because bef- far before the crisis comes, it needs to be settled in your heart, Amen. in my heart. We don't, we don't have time in the middle of war to deliberate. Will you come and bow the knee this morning? to the true and living God? Will you cast down your idols? To have a worship team coming. Will you cast down your idols? Lay your body before God and say, I'm yours. Even if you don't bless me in this life, even if I have physical pain, even if I don't have the best family life, even if I don't have a lot of money, even if I don't have a lot of smarts, even if I don't have a lot, period, I'm still going to serve you. Because in the end, I'll have everything. And not only in the end, but here's the secret. You can have it right now. The happiest people in the world are those who are submitted to God. They can be poor as dirt or as rich as a billionaire. The key to success and significance, the key to courage, like these guys had, remember they were slaves, is to know God in His fullness, to be completely submitted to Him, surrendered to Him. Will you do that today? As we sing, I want you to come and bow the knee to the true and living God. And then he can help you to stand when the crisis comes. Amen.